Thanks, Val. Thanks so much. Hey, guys, just to not confuse you, like on the, the piece of paper bookie thing that you've got, it says Charles Fielding. And that's the name that we use in America. Fielding's actually my middle name. And we've always work, worked in Muslim countries. And so I've got a real name and then I've got a, an American name. And then somebody also also wanted me to mention that I wrote a book and it's called Preach and Heal. And it's got the name Charles Fielding on it, too. So it just is not to confuse you. I was also supposed to mention that if you would like a free PDF copy of the version of the book, uh, you can email me and I'd be happy to send it to you. So I'll tell you my email address now and then you or you can come up later and ask it because it's really easy. It's Chuck and Michelle at Gmail dot com. No dots, no dashes. Michelle with two L's. OK, you guys have have had a good conference to this point. So good. Yeah. Are there any nurses in the house? Are there any doctors in the house? Physical or occupational terrorists? Yeah. Don't laugh at them. Are they here? Yeah. Allied health. Anything else? All none of the above. All right. Good man. I applaud you guys. Um, Michelle and I've been overseas since 1995 and we just been back in the States two months and it's really cool to hear the music and to see you guys singing and y'all are, it's like, this is not the Baptist church I grew up in. Uh, the stage was actually on fire at one time. I don't know if you know, it's like, whoa, I mean, it's like Elijah and the prophets of Baal, the fire came down. So let me introduce my wife. Michelle is here. She she has tolerated me for 29 years. Uh, My daughter, Mallory Grace, is here. Um, Mallory was born in Pakistan. So she's Pakistani Ladakiha. And she is doing her master's of social work. And we have another child, Caleb. He's in third year medical school. He's married now. Caleb was five months when we went overseas. He's trying to figure out, you know, what he wants to be. And he's doing his rotations. And so he couldn't come. Uh, all he said so far is, I don't like surgery. He started the thing by saying, I don't like surgeons. And I was like, duh. <laughs> and he was like, so he's trying to figure it out. Uh, surgeons are so easy. They're always fair game. You can, you can always make a surgery joke and people will laugh. Uh, this is not the first time I've been on the stage. Ten, I think it was ten years ago I was asked to do a plenary. I'd never been to the conference before. I don't think I'd ever been to Louisville before. Um, and you know you have to remove your shoes at the border and come in barefoot. That's Kentucky. And but they got the indoor toilet thing going now. So that's good. Um, Kentucky's easy too, not as easy as Texas. Um, Yeah. So I came to the conference and I'd never been in before and I'd never spoken to this many people before. And I I have a friend kind of and he was like, I'll introduce you. And so he came on stage and this Dr. Richard Nathaniel Donlin over here. And this is the only time you're allowed to boo. Uh, so Rick comes up and he does a, a good introduction, Val. It was it was nice. It was complimentary. I was like, man, I did not know I was that good a guy. And he he does this thing where he thinks he's going to be clever. And so he wanted to make a little joke. So this is what he said. He said, you know, that joke that you say in medical school What do you call the person who graduated last? You call them doctor. Well, in Memphis, we call him Chuck. And come on up. (laughs) So I had to come up and speak after that. And I thought I did okay. I thought people were, like, listening. And so afterwards, there's like ten people lined up to meet me. I'm like, wow, I'm famous. I'm a rock star. And... And the first lady comes up and she goes, did you really graduate last in your class? 
I said, no, ma'am, I, I didn't. Well, because I'd had my time to talk. It was her time to talk. Son, there is no shame in it. And is she here? If she's here, I, I apologize for not for the accent. I cannot get it southern enough. I mean, and then the next guy, big old Texas belly, and he goes, ho, 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 so you graduated last in your class, huh? Like, seven out of ten people. And, Rick, remember I told you afterwards, like, nobody wanted to talk to me. They were like, so, and then people were, after a while, just nodding and going, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it is amazing. God can use anybody, you know, because that's what they all wanted me to know, was that God could... was so wrong. <laughs> Honey, they were making fun of me. Oh, okay. In a minute, we're going to talk serious. We're talking about the curse. Can you get me up there, my title? Um, this is serious. So in a minute, there's going to be no more laughing. But we were driving in the rain from Tennessee, Michelle and I, and as we condescended from the beautiful state of Tennessee into Kentucky with our shoes off, uh, listening to the radio. Uh, Christmas station was either that or country. And we heard a, a joke. And so my daughter's here, and so she, she always laughs at my jokes. So we're going to try. I defy you to laugh at this one. It's just bad. So why do Norwegian, does a Norwegian military... Insist, Michelle's already laughing. It's really bad. Why does the mili- Norwegian military insist on putting a barcode on all their ships? So they can scan the Navy in! Did you get it, Murray? It's a Scandinavian country. Okay. Hey, can I have that water valve? Okay, okay, and that's it. No more laughing. Um, I'm not joking. Thank you. Thanks, Val. All right, so we're, uh, we're going to talk about the curse and the cure, but I think it would be wise for us to pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be counted as children of God, um, and our heart breaks for a world that, that does not have that privilege and is not able to say that. They're children of the earth, or they're children of Satan, and... It's amazing to have been adopted into your family, even though we're nothing like you. You sign the adoption papers and nobody can undo that. And that's why we can celebrate and why we enjoy being together. And um, we're so grateful for that. And, Father, we we want to be disciples whose lives have a kingdom purpose, uh, which goes against the way that we were raised and the way our culture is going. And so we pray that you would teach us now uh, what you want to say Father, if I've got any of my stuff wrong, I pray that you would prevent me from saying it so that I would only say biblically evidence-based spot-on stuff from you so that we can all learn and so we can make a difference in the world uh, for your glory. We pray this in the name of our King, our Savior, our joy, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right? All right, curse and the cure. I got, are there any cats? I got my laser pointer. And it doesn't work on these screens that light from the back. Oh, wait. Okay. Mafi Muscula. No problem. Uh, all right. So I'm an old missionary, and so I'm going to tell some old missionary stories. Um, but, oh, speaking of old. Okay. So a second ago, Val and I, you guys can listen, but this is just for me and Michelle. So Val and I are walking down the aisle and they had these cameras turned on and you could see the back of us from up there. And I was like, whoa, Val has got a huge bald spot. And then I was like, but Val is wearing a baseball cap. <laughs> Did you know? Never said anything. I was like, before I was an old, fat, white guy, I call it an off wig and now I'm a buff wig. I'm a bald. You can tell fat. Anytime you see a guy over 40 pull out of his shirt, he's fat. <clears throat> so now I'm a buff wig. So you guys can text buff wig given the last plenary. Maybe we should pray again. <clears throat> I'm going to do some verses that I really, really, really love. 
and you guys know them, and they're from Romans 8. Most of y'all know them. Uh, but you know how when you meditate on a verse, it just gets deeper and deeper. And so after 40-something years of meditating on this verse, I just got a lot of stuff that I got to unpack. Uh, I would need somebody else to hear it. It's one of my favorite subjects. It's called, I call it the curse and the cure. And uh, I'm going to read the verses. And then we're going to go through the three points of the verses. They're not exactly in order. I'm going to change the order of the last two. We're going to go through them, and then we're going to think about them over and over. And then we're going to talk about the implications of the verses. All right? So, if this does... Nope, not that button. Not that button. Not that button. The finger works. Okay. Listen to these verses. There's going to be a fair amount of scripture, uh, but it's all easy, good stuff. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. You got it? That's Romans 8. All right. Now some old stories. This is really hard for me to do because I'm going to really tell you how old I am. In the 60s, when I was but a wee lad, there was this thing called the hippie movement. And it was so cool. They were really into long hair, a lot of facial hair. Honey, Mallory would be called bohemian style dressing, like kind of, I don't know, they wore these peasant blouses and blue jean stuff. And the guys had their shirts down and everybody was hip and cool. And it was countercultural and it was anti-establishment. And they kind of thrived. The gas for the engine was sex, drugs and really sweet rock and roll. Uh, It could only last so long. In the late 60s, they kind of started to burn out. Apparently, sex, drugs, and rock and roll has an LD50 of like a couple of years. And it was done by, it was done by 67. And the, these guys started coming to Christ in California. Uh, on the far west coast, hundreds of thousands. I think this is a picture from the late the 60s or the early 70s, it was called the Jesus Movement. And the flower people were becoming the Jesus people. And it moved across the country. And by 1973, it reached Memphis, Tennessee, where I'm from. Now, my dad went to medical school and radiology residency. And somewhere in there with all that science, he decided God is not real. And he was a very proud atheist. So he raised us kids telling us there are no ghosts, there's no superstition or good, bad luck, prayers don't work, there's no God, there's no devil, there are no angels, there's nothing except the material world. Right? So that's the way I was raised. It was like, use your brain. That's obvious. And don't pay any attention to the charlatans who are trying to talk young people into following Jesus and be a part of their religious Business, money make a business. It's it's all farce and it's all about money. And I loved and respected my dad, and I thought he was the wisest man I'd ever heard. In 1973, this movement came to Memphis, and there was this thing called the Richard Hogue Evangelical Crusade. Does anybody from Oklahoma know Richard Hogue? Well, he's there. He's like, well, if this was the 70s, that was the last millennium, so that means he has to be at least a thousand years old. And that means I'm over that too. So he's old now, but he, I think he's still preaching in Oklahoma. And he was doing this crusade. And we're like, Daddy, Daddy, can we go? Can we go? And I'm thinking, it's going to be in the city. We're going to drive from the country into the big city of Memphis and see those lights. And there might be girls there. And I was 13. And so let's go. And I went. And it was nothing like I expected. It was all these young people. And they're dressed so cool. And they were... You know, talking to each other. And I, I think we did five down like this back then. It was not a high five. It's like, give me five. And, and um, 
it was really cool. And then they had a band come on, and they're like, this isn't, I've been in one or two churches, this isn't like churchy, and there's no organ, and um, it was cool. They had guitars, and I'm like, can, can they do that? I don't know. And then this guy comes out, and he's dressed like me, but his shirt was tucked in. Uh, <laughs> and he's wearing a flannel shirt, and he just starts talking regular, like I hope I'm talking to you guys, like he's connecting. And I, So I listened. It was really good stuff. Don't exactly remember what he said. It was about the second coming. And I was listening to him and I'm like, man, this is neat stuff. And then something spooky happened. I realized that I was sharing my space with an, an invisible entity. Something supernatural was pushing against me, pushing down on me, was wrapping around in me. And it was... It was mainly up here I was thinking about, but a little bit of emotions also. And I knew pretty soon it's God. And God, my dad was sitting right there and like, and so dad is wrong. And this force was putting like wedging uh, in the crinkles of my cerebrum this little thought. And it is this stuff that you're hearing is true. And the other thought was, I have all the answers of your soul. And the tears were just dripping, dripping. And I'm a 13-year-old boy. And I don't want my brothers to see. You know, I'm one of five kids. And they're all sitting there. And Dad agreed to take us. Mom and Dad were there. And I'm like, Dad's wrong. This is creepy. This is spooky. It was terrifying. It, it was, I was full of joy. I was ecstatic. I was, again, scared. A lot of weird emotions but I knew that I was meeting God and I was like, yeah, you're God and God pretty much trumps everything. It's all yours. So I was all in at, a, at age 13. Um, my dad actually kind of came back around to faith later in life. He and mom and were active in the church. Uh, they're, they're gone now. I went to medical school, got a doctor. Michelle just agreed to marry me. It's not cheap, but she. <laughs> I was like, how much dowry do you want? <laughs> not really. And so she married me, and we got through residency. We had a little bitty baby named Caleb. And we took off to Pakistan, and we were in Abbottabad, Pakistan. Woo! And before Mallory was born... Um, we, this is a picture of Abbottabad, and I love Abbottabad. And before we were born, Michelle got sick. And I don't mean l- a little bit sick. She got really, really sick. Fever of 103.5. I couldn't bring it down. I was putting ibuprofen and acetaminophen. I was putting cool compresses on her, and it would not come down. And she couldn't move. And I was like, this is... And there's no bacterial source that I could find. I'm thinking, this is the worst virus I've ever seen and on the third day, I was, she, was, she was pregnant, and so she had a miscarriage on the, the third day, and, and she couldn't get up, and I had to help her to the bathroom, and she was hurting all over. And I was like, this is kind of a lot like dengue fever, but we're in Pakistan, and then I realized, oh, but we went to India, and there were mosquitoes in the bedroom, and they have dengue over there. So Michelle had dengue fever. It's called breakbone fever, and it's just brutal. And on the fifth day, I was like... Michelle may die. I've never seen anybody this sick. And I was keeping her well hydrated, and that's about all you can do is supportive care. When they say supportive care, it sounds like a long list of things that you can do. It's like, no, give her sips of water. You know, and it was like, what else could I do to help her? And I thought, she may not make it. I may lose her the same way we just lost the baby. And it was raining, and so that means the power was off. And that means I couldn't run the water filter. And Caleb was feverish with a yellow runny nose. And I couldn't go to the grocery store because there's no car seats or seat belts. And I couldn't exactly drive a clutch and everything with the baby. And we didn't have food. Couldn't clean the waters. And it was really bad. And so on the fifth night, I, I kissed Michelle's head and was really sticky and sweaty. And told her good night. And I went in there with Caleb. I mean, this, these were sick people. Michelle was sick. And Caleb was sick. And I put him down. And I went, well... When I get in the rocking chair that we brought all the way from Memphis, I'm going to think this through. So I got set down in the rocking chair and started rocking. And I was like, I don't even know why we're doing this. 
I wasn't exactly sure while we were in Pakistan, while we were missionaries to Muslims in a weird alien place where nothing seemed to make sense. And this is definitely the worst day of my life. And we had had missionary school like nine months prior. And they said, next year, within the next year, you will have the worst day of your life. I'm like, those guys are experienced. They know. They're experienced. And I said, they said, here's what you do. You pull out that experience of when God called you to missions. And that memory will sustain you through the trial. And I've got a good one. I was on a mountaintop in Canada. And God lives in Canada, by the way. God came out of the mountain and said... Go to medical school. I am sending you to places where missionaries cannot go. Like another, my second experience with God. It was incredible. So I pulled out that memory and I played it back and I loved hearing it again in my head. And it was like 10% big enough to cover the trials of the day. And I was like, oh, they were wrong. I'm not, le- I'm not leaving. I'm not quitting. But I don't know why I'm not quitting. Why are we here and why don't I want to quit despite the terrible trials that are coming at us? And here's another. And I do hear voices, apparently. Uh, I'm Baptist. These things aren't supposed to happen. But I had an experience with God. And again, he was like, you want to know why you're here and why you're doing this stuff? And then all of a sudden. He took me back to 1973, and I was in that Coliseum the first time I met him, and I was just overwhelmed with the experience of encountering God. And you get a feeling for a lot of his attributes when you touch him. I mean, I didn't know everything about God, but I could have passed a multiple choice test on his attributes. And it was powerful. And he's like, that's why you're here. That's why you do this. And that's why you're not going to quit. It's just because you've met me. And that reminds me of this, this first verse here. I consider that our present sufferings are not comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. The glory of meeting God is nothing compared to the glory that we're going to get when we meet God meet God for all eternity. But I, I had a sweet little taste of it and I know what it's like. And so that is enough to sustain me through the trials. And he's saying, knowing that we're going to be in heaven in the presence of God, that glory that's going to be revealed to us, it makes the stuff of this earth inconsequential. Isn't that good? It's good stuff. This is the Apostle Paul wrote this. So apparently Michelle and I are CIA agents At least that's what they told us in Pakistan when they kicked us out of the country. After two years, now with Caleb, who's like this, and Mallory's like a loaf of bread. And we we went to Kashmir, India, because our people were the Kashmiris. And we were working with the refugees on the Pakistani side. And the India side was supposedly all war zone and dangerous and and bad. And so we... uh, we went to Kashmir. It wasn't so bad. Not a lot of... Tons of guns. Not a lot of bombs. Not a lot of shooting. Not so bad. And we were there. One night I was in my study. And I was reading the Bible and the power went off. And um, I was like, what do I do? I don't want to go to bed. There's no lights. I don't have a flashlight. And then I was like, I could think back over the Bible verse that I just read. And all of a sudden it just came into my head. And it was that verse in Ephesians 6.12... And it says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So it just all came into my head and I'm not great at memorizing the Bible. And so just I was there. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world. And the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And so I had a lot of time in the dark to think about it. And I was like, wow, that's a lot. He just look how he lists stuff out. Rulers, authorities, powers. That's like governors and policemen and mayors. And, and then spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. That's big. And so I realized that, that I was up at, 
I was not there. The Kashmiris weren't my problem. Islam wasn't my problem. The Muslims weren't my problem. The culture wasn't my problem. It's a spiritual problem that, that I was up against. And that's what we're up against in life. We have spiritual opposition. And I started thinking, there could be demons in this room right now. And I actually looked over my shoulder because I was a little creeped out by the thing. We, we occupied, is it right to say co-occupy the world? Or I, we occupy the world with demonic forces. Spiritual forces in this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. They got there when we messed up in the Garden of Eden. We, we disobeyed God. We got thrown out. And then somehow, I don't exactly understand it, God withdrew to some degree from humankind. And he allowed Satan and demonic forces to come in and occupy the earth for a while. And Satan is called the prince of this world, the god of this age. And the verse that I learned when I was a kid was, we know that we are children of God, but the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Not under the influence of, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. This is Satan's world. He's controlling what's going on out there. And God knows about it. God could squish Satan like a bug if he wanted to. But he's allowing it to go like this. And that's what I learned from that verse. Um, there was another. There was another story. So I, there was a Muslim that came to the Lord. His name was Mushtaq. And he and I were going to go up in the mountains and do a little quick medical clinic with a small village. So we trekked. We drove for an hour. We parked the car. We walked 40 minutes. We went up to this little village. And it was sad. It was a little creek running through it. Uh, just a couple of houses, corn about this tall. People were kind of moping around. Everybody's really thin. And this old man with a white, long white Kashmiri beard and a white Kashmiri cane and a shawl and this little... Chapati, topi, what we call a flat hat, pancake hat. Uh, he showed us around and he took us back to his house and we went in and there's no glass in the windows. They've got burlap in the windows. It's a dirt floor. We sat down at hot. There's a lot of flies on us. And they were doing a willow branch over us to keep the flies off. And I did a quick little medical thing, seeing the mom and the grandmom and the kids and stuff. And then we sat down to drink the tea which is going to be made over fire. That means it's going to be really smoky tasting. And I was kind of dreading that. And I didn't know what to say. So I said, so tell me. This is like an American Christian thing. So tell me, how has God blessed you this year? And the son-in-law was doing the willow branch with keeping the flies away. He goes, God has not blessed us. God has cursed us. And I was shocked. Because I didn't know a Muslim was allowed to, like, say Bad things like that about God. And uh, I was like, oh, tell me about it. And so the old lady started talking. I mean, she's really old and kind of emaciated, skinny. And she was like, nothing grows in this town. We plant the corn and it grows up, but there's no ears. I guess they just haven't rotated the crops. And it was, must have been soil was nitrogen depleted. And like, that sounds pretty bad. That is kind of like a curse. And she goes, and everybody's sick all the time. The water supply has upstream villages. People have put their waste in it, and we're always sick. We even have tuberculosis in this town. You know what that means. We're talking about a small group of people. You're afraid to go to any gathering. You're afraid to have anybody over to your house. So they're all being isolated, and they're afraid. They're af- tuberculosis is called consumption because it consumes you, and then you, and then you die commonly. And and then the old man started to cry. And he said, several months ago, the Indian soldiers drug our son out and shot him in front of us. And last year, my brother was caught in the crossfire and he was also killed. And then they're crying and crying because they think the young men are um, freedom fighters, which many of them are. And so a lot of young men were drug out and killed. And I was thinking... That is a curse. No corn, sick all the time, no hope for the future. The things that you have and love are being snatched away from you and, and torn out of your arm. You, you really do live under a curse.
And then I was like, oh, my gosh, this is in the Bible. And so I said, have you ever have you ever read from uh, the, the words of Moses? They couldn't read, but I was saying it. Have you ever read from the Torah, from the Old Testament, the words of Moses on this? And they're like, no, no, please tell us. Uh, we, we can't. I don't know if they said we can't read, but they're like, we want to hear the holy words of God. And so I'm thumbing them in my Bible. and I'm like, Oh, my gosh, the old man is right. And me, the supposed Christian that should know the Bible, I don't know this. I mean, I kind of knew it, but it, it wasn't a part of my daily theology. And, it, and it's in Genesis, the third chapter. Um, Adam and Eve sinned. And God told Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate of the tree that I told you, do not eat of it. Cursed is the earth on account of you. So I told him, I said, you're absolutely right. So I did a little pre-story, and then I read the verse, and then started thinking in my mind, is like, and that's why your son was killed, and that's why the crops won't grow, and that's why we have war, and that's why we have hatred, and it's like going on forever. That's why we have carnivorous animals. That's why we have pathogenic microorganisms. And AIDS and tuberculosis, and that's why we have hatred and, and murder and adultery. And I mean, it's just like, let's make a list, shall we, of all the things that are a result of the curse. And I was like, why don't I know this? I had always been told that, that we were separated from God because of sin. But this is bigger than that. God put a curse on the earth. God said, cursed is the earth on account of you. So, yes, yeah, sin caused the curse. But the earth is under a curse. And, and we, we lived in Africa. A curse is, if I put a curse on you, it's because I want you to wither up and die. And so God put a curse on the earth. And it's like, we're withering up. The earth isn't just getting old and wearing out. It's withering up. And that, that's like the second verse right here. For the creation was subjected to frustration... Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one that subjected it. Now, this is the greatest understatement in the Bible. He said the creation was subjected to frustration. Some verses say the creation was subjected to futility. What he's trying to say in a nice way is the earth, a curse was placed on the earth. Frustration. Futility is the curse was placed on it. Not of its own choice. We didn't choose the curse. But by of the, one, the will of the one that subjected it, subjected it. Satan didn't cause the curse. Satan doesn't cause the bad stuff. God placed a curse on the earth. It was his choice. The, it goes on, if you read a little bit further in, in Romans, it says, we, are, we groan as in the pains of childbirth. Right up to this present time. Have you ever been in L&D? You ever seen a woman that's in the pains of childbirth? It's Okay, so I was in medical school. Girls are different than boys. I knew that much from the anatomy part. But I had to go do OBGYN. And first day, I was so nervous. I put on a tie. I wore a tie one day in medical school. Wore a tie, my little white jacket, I go into L&D, and the resident says, go around and make sure all these women are okay. And so I would, and there's like 15, I don't, I remember 15 women in one room, it's probably five. But it seemed like a huge room full of women, and all they're, they're groaning in the pains. Oh, no, I'm sorry. They're groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And I mean, they're miserable. And this one girl in, in the middle of the room in a bed by herself, nobody with her. She was 16 years old. And she said, come here. And I was like, Some, she's, nobody was listening. And I was like, I'm a medical student on my first day. Like, okay, come here. And she goes, no, no, no. Come closer. <laughs> like, this is really terrifying. So I got up close to her and I leaned down and I said, yes. And she grabbed my tie and she pulled it down till her foreheads were almost touching. And she said, cut this thing out of me now. (laughs) True story. I know it sounds like something you'd see on TV. It really happened. And I was like, yes, ma'am. 
get somebody to do surgeon. Okay. It, it's like an intolerable condition being in the pain. Could you imagine labor that doesn't stop day after day after day after century after century after millennium? We are grown as in the pains of childbirth. We are under a curse and we're occupied by demonic forces with some pseudo leader usurping the authority of Jesus sitting on his throne. Satan, the prince of this world, the God of this age, that is the current state of humankind. And Satan doesn't want you to think about it because he doesn't want you to grow up and do something about it. And that's what I thought. I was like, how come I'd never thought of this before? It's like, because Satan doesn't want you to think about it. And he controls this world. And now I got him. Because I know. And that was a long time ago. And I think about it like every day. It's, it's, it's changed my theology and it's changed my behavior. And it's changed the way that I t- taught my kids. Mallory, have you ever heard this before, honey? Poor thing. It's like the 60th time she's heard that story. We were driving up here, took her shoes off, got into Kentucky. Michelle said, you know, there's a verse in Isaiah about the curse. And I was like, no, what, what is it? And so she found this awesome verse. The earth is defiled by its people. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear their guilt. And then he goes on to describe something like a fire. The curse is like, we're on fire. So, wow, a pregnant lady in labor on fire. That is the state of the planet. And yet we think, we're having heaven on earth. I get everything I want. I mean, yeah, when I sit in the middle of my king-size bed, my iPhone cord doesn't fit. But other than that, life is perfect. Satan doesn't want us to think in these terms, does he? After the, from this point, I'm not going to tell any more old missionary stories. I want to read some great scripture. Now, there's a lot of it. It's like, oh my gosh, there's another great verse. Oh, they need to hear this. And I, when I was preparing this talk, it's like, I, I had a hard time pruning it down because there's so much great stuff uh, for the, the cure. I've talked about the curse. So now let's talk about the cure. So here's some great verses. This is out of Matthew. And they were the, Jesus and the disciples were in Jerusalem and they'd just seen the temple and they were going, look how awesome this building is. So on the Mount of Olives, it says the disciples came to him. It was Jesus privately saying, tell us what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Okay, it's really long. But did you see how many good things are in there? In the beginning, they're asking Jesus... When are you coming again and when will you bring about an end of the age? You know what age that is? It's the age that started when we disobeyed in the curse. It's called the age of the curse. Trademark. The age of the curse, we live in it now. Now, we're in the second half. The first part is prophets are telling about the guy that's going to come and smash the curse. And his name is Jesus. And we're in the part of Jesus has come But the curse is not completely smashed because he said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. But in the meantime, you're going to have nation rise against nation. You're going to have famines and earthquakes. And all these are but the beginning of birth pains. 
kind of fits in with what we've been saying, right? So what's the cure? He talks about the curse when Jesus comes back. They said, when will you return and what will be the sign of the end of the age? He said, I'll return when the gospel has been proclaimed to all nations. The cure is the return of Jesus Christ. Here's a good verse, 2 Peter. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. That's the return of Jesus. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise... We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's 2 Peter. And then we go over here to Revelation and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. There will be no more death, which is brought about by the curse or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. The Bible's about the curse. On page two, cursed is the earth on account of you. In Isaiah, halfway through, the earth is under a curse because of the sins of the people. Last page of the Bible, no longer will there be any curse. The Bible's about the curse. We're in the curse age and the cure for the curse is the return of Jesus. Here's a good one from Isaiah again. I love this stuff. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will lay down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The reason I like that is, look how messed up the earth is because of the curse. This is what it's going to be like at the end. Lions eat grass. Lions eat straw. Lions can't digest straw. Think about their teeth. I'm thinking before the curse, lions ate straw. And in the end, lions will eat straw. The curse has so mangled the earth that the GI tract and the teeth of a lion... Turn them into carnivorous animals. There is no carnivorous animals in the Garden of Eden. That's how mangled. That's a, just a little look at how mangled the earth is because of the curse. When I, my point is, guys, the earth needs to be rescued from the curse. It's intolerable. It, it's, it's labor that never ends. How are we staying here allowing this to go on? Oh, look, more stuff. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That that leads us to the last bit. How, how do we get Jesus to come back? I don't know for sure. But look at this verse. In Romans 8, it says, For the creation waits, groaning is in childbirth, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the children of God to be revealed. You're the children of God. Who else is there? Well, God says they're from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And our children, our brothers and sisters are out there in Iraq and in Mauritania and in Kashmir. And they're waiting to hear the gospel so that they can become children of God like us. And the creation waits 
in eager expectation for these children of God to be revealed. There's a verse in Revelation where John says, I looked and there before me was a multitude that no one could count from every tribe, tongue, people and nation. They were standing before the Lamb and the throne and they had palm branches in their hand. And they were saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. That's the future. That's what's going to be like when we're in glory in heaven. But there are people, family, our family from every tongue tribe. Before that, it says Jesus is worthy uh, because with his blood, he purchased men for God from every nation, tribe, language, people. That's what's that's what we're waiting on. So let me review. Point number one was that um, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. You're going to heaven. It's done deal. Nothing can happen to you now. You're invincible. Satan wants you to think, oh, you're weak, you're vulnerable, you're not that big a deal. No, no, no. You are a superhero tasked by God to save the world. You've been, so you've got medical skills, you've got practical skills, you've got spiritual gifts. You've got the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you that gives you the power to overcome demonic forces, to overcome any obstacle. And your name is written down in a book in heaven. Who's going to go up there and rip it out? You're, you're invincible. You can't be touched. A present sufferings are inconsequential. Now, oops. Review number, review point number two. The creation was subjected to frustration. It was put under a curse, not of its own choice, but by the will of God, the will of the one who subjected it. This is a bad place. For mercy's sake, out of mercy for the people that are suffering in famines and earthquakes and poverty with children with birth defects and abusive husbands. Let's put an end to this and we can do it. How can we sit there and tolerate Satan on Jesus's thrones? Why aren't we pulling out our hair and tearing our clothes as a church? Satan's got us all duped. That's why. But we're not duped any longer, are we? So we're going to do something about it. At least this is what I've been doing and I totally love it. You can tell it. I like it. It's a big deal to me. Point number three is the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That's what we've been doing. And I can tell you there is no job more satisfying, more purposeful, more peace and giving and joy giving than going to the ends of the earth and finding those children of God that are just waiting to be revealed. And that's why this this conference exists. Now, hopefully, hopefully that's why you're here. So what? I think I covered that pretty good. So what? We cannot tolerate this interminable labor any longer. We have to go find our brothers and sisters among every tribe, tongue, people, and language. And you guys are the perfect ones to do it because you've got practical skills that can get you into closed countries, closed communities, homes, into people's hearts. We, as disciples, are the only carriers of the gospel. There's no plan B. We're Jesus' plan. And so let's take the gospel to all nations. This conference exists to make disciples and plant churches among the ends of the earth. And if this crazy eschatology is accurate, then we might hasten the return of Jesus Christ and get the earth out of this mess. All right. Hey, you guys, can I get an amen from the sisters? Can I get an amen from the brothers? How about a come Lord Jesus from all of us? Okay. You got some cards. And let's take some time and prayerfully consider how you're going to respond to this. Pray, learn, support, go. Of course, my desire is for every one of you to go.
right? But if God has told you to stay here, if he has given you that regrettable assignment, then stay here in this country and teach and mobilize and pray and give. All right? That's, that's what God's going to assign some people there. God's going to assign some people here. But do what God said. You, will, you cannot have a better life than do exactly what God said. I'm going to give you some time to fill out the card. I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to come up here. And there's a map on the floor. And you put the card on the spot on the map that's on your heart or where you want to go. Up on the on here a minute ago, I gave a, a map. Go backwards. All right. You saw the map a second ago. There, there it goes. The red places have no access to the gospel. Kashmiris in the Himalaya mountains will be born. They'll live 55 years. They'll die. They'll never shake hands with a disciple of Jesus. They'll never hear the gospel. They don't have access. That's the state for about a third of the world, and that's just untenable. That's just wrong. We've got to fix that. And we're, we're the ones to do it. We're the, the family of God, and these are our brothers and sisters. So come up here and place your card on the spot on the map. I encourage you to make it one of the red areas. But if God tells you otherwise, that's good too. Fill out your card. Okay, everybody ready? Let's look at this verse one more time. Let's read it together and, and think about how the implications of what does that mean to me. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Let me pray for you and then you can come up here and put your card anywhere you want to on the map. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have... Uh, I mean, it's crazy, but thank you that you put a curse on the earth <laughs> because it drives us to you. And, and we, would, we would have just been thrown out of the Garden of Eden and been separated from you forever. So as horrible as a curse is, uh, we're told to give joy in all circumstances. So we thank you for the curse. But most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ who smashed the curse and who's going to smash the, the skull of the snake, the serpent that... Uh, deceived us that you've overcome everything we thank you for that we do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who have not yet been revealed that by our hand or by somebody else you would get the gospel to them because there's there's nothing greater in life uh, than having the gospel thank you again for jesus um please lead us all in your ways and your paths we pray this in the name of our king jesus christ amen